Welcome into our special on the life of Pat Patterson, WWE Hall of Famer and one of the all-time greats in professional wrestling. This is part two of two in our tribute to Pat Patterson. If you missed part one, go back in the archives first and hear part one of our two-part special on the first major wrestling star to announce that he was gay. Pat Patterson made history by doing so, and he passed away on Wednesday in Miami Beach. He was 79. The cause of his death in the hospital was liver failure, and he was in a lot of different territories in regional circuits, like San Francisco, where he really made his name, Boston, Montreal, and of course, found fame in the late 70s by being part of the World Wrestling Federation, which later became World Wrestling Entertainment. He was in the American Wrestling Association. He was in the Carolinas. He wrestled for Championship Wrestling in Florida. All across the country, Pat Patterson made a name for himself as a singles wrestler or as a tag team wrestler. Well, we will hear more from friends of Pat Patterson he touched so many different lives, whether it's wrestlers, promoters. Pat Patterson was a household name in professional wrestling. So let's hear from some of his friends that really love Pat Patterson and working with him. Let's start off first with the Sarge, Sergeant Slaughter. Now, if you're looking for a great match with Pat Patterson, just Google or go to the WWE Network and find Sergeant Slaughter versus Pat Patterson. In a match in Madison Square Garden is one of the all-time great grudge matches for that time at Madison Square Garden. Look for all-out anarchy between these two, Sergeant Slaughter and Pat Patterson. Let's hear from the Sarge on his friend, Pat Patterson. Well, uh, Pat, it just, uh, I love, I love Pat. Uh, with all my heart, I, I have a shirt that says Pat with a heart around it. It's it's on my heart, and it's him. He's in my heart. He'll always be with me, and he, he just uh, taught me so much. And and I wouldn't be here today without Pat. Uh, uh, who knows where Sergeant Slaughter would have gone if I hadn't given those pictures to give to Vince McMahon Senior. Sergeant Slaughter might never have been created. Uh, it was created, but not in the form that it is today. At one point, we were all such a strong family. We loved each other. To me, Pat was a glue. Pat was a glue to keep the WWE together. WWE and NWA Hall of Famer Jim Ross. Pat, my relationship with Pat Patterson uh, far exceeded uh, the profession. He was a true friend of mine. And, you know, we had so many, I had a good cry this morning when I, I was thinking about, uh, Pat and Jan, uh, hooking up and meeting and hugging and comparing spaghetti sauce recipes in heaven. I don't know why I just, that just came into my mind because when I first came to WWE in 1993, because I was the perceived as the voice of the enemy, I wasn't welcomed by everybody, but the guys like Monsoon and Heenan and Patterson were my guys, and they made me feel at home. And you know, my wife Jan and I spent so many hours at Pat's house with he and his, his uh, companion Louis Dondero, uh, 
cooking and Jan would bring these little dog treats over for their dog buddy. It's a funny thing how you sometimes you can't even remember a date, uh, but you can remember a dog's name that was played a big role in your in your life in some crazy way. A buddy was a part of the family, and Pat was a part of our family. We were part of his. Funny story. I, that's what I've tried to do this morning. Think of things that there's so many laughs with him. He had a great sense of humor, amazing timing, not only in the ring, uh, but just in life and in conversation. I'm sitting down in Pat's house, go downstairs in the basement because Louie cut my hair. And Louie was a barber, had his barber shop in the Frisco for years and years. So I'm sitting there uh, at a table with a light hanging down like a, you're playing cards or something. And Louie's cutting my hair. Surrounding the table is Louie, Pat, and two other gentlemen who are both gay. And so I'm sitting there with four gay men downstairs with a light on like I'm being interrogated. And I said, man, guys, if the big cowboy could only see me now. And they laughed their ass off. We had so much fun, all, always. And I can tell you that knowing Pat helped me become more sensitive to the lifestyles of other people. Uh, it helped me address, uh, you know, racism issues. Uh, it helped me address so many things that he became, he made me more of a man and to be more open-minded and to love people for, for who they are uh, and let them, and everybody should have the right to enjoy their life. And boy, I'll tell you, fellas, you guys both know Pat enjoyed his life. So he'll be uh, se- severely missed. You know, he worked the Oklahoma Territory back with Leroy McGurk back in the day. I heard all those stories. You know, uh, it's just, it was just an amazing journey for me. The thoughts from the voice of All Elite Wrestling and NWA WWE Hall of Famer, good old J.R. Jim Ross. So as we know, Pat Patterson was one of the first openly gay wrestlers. And in a book that Pat Patterson wrote, and he's talked about this also before he passed away, he couldn't be openly gay when he first got into professional wrestling because wrestling promoters were against someone that is gay of the gay persuasion to be a professional wrestler, even though, again, who knew who was gay and who was not? Actually, it didn't matter then. It doesn't matter now. But it's interesting that there was a sex scandal that took place in the WWE. As I quote from TheRinger.com, when other backstage employees were embroiled in a sex scandal, Pat Patterson was swept into that as well. He wrote this. He says, the fact that I was gay certainly played a part in me being targeted like that. Vince McMahon released Patterson after former ring announcer Murray Hodgkins brought a sexual harassment charge against Patterson, but rehired him after the charges were dropped and a private investigation cleared and vetted Patterson. As for other charges that Patterson helped talent like Sylvain Grenier received a push in exchange for quote-unquote favors. The first Intercontinental Champion was similarly emphatic. He says, let me tell you this. If you didn't get to the WWE, if you didn't succeed, it wasn't because you were not good enough and not because of anything I did or did not do. Because of the charges brought against Hodgkin, Patterson was gone from part of 1992 and contemplated becoming a bartender and leaving wrestling altogether. But his return came later that year and allowed him to help orchestrate one of the best matches of a new generation. 
and that was Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels. So it is interesting, the stories about Pat Patterson being involved in a sexual scandal. Again, Murray Hodgkin, someone that I was not familiar with in the early 1990s, put a sexual harassment charge against Pat Patterson. Now, there were other issues with ring announcer Mel Phillips and others that were involved in WWE during that time, but Pat Patterson felt that he was targeted. And he was sent away, and then he was able to come back to work for Vince in the WWE. Now, that did not stop other wrestlers from questioning uh, some of the motives from Pat Patterson that they alleged. Listen to this. There are a number of stories out there regarding uh, Pat Patterson and him dealing with talent. Let's start with Latin heartthrob Al Perez. Pat Patterson comes up to me, and he tells me, oh, sit down, let's talk, let's talk. And I guess you can call me a little bit of a hothead. We had an eight-foot table sitting up against the wall long ways, and he's sitting his back up against the wall. And I'm standing on the side of the table. And he again builds it. Oh, you know, it's good to have you here. It's a family business. You're going to make a lot of money, a little French-Canadian. You're going to make a lot of money, and, oh, we'll give you a gimmick, and, oh, you'll be worldwide famous. You'll make a lot of money, and kept on and kept on and kept on. And besides, he'll go both ways. And when he said that, I just kicked him off the table. I said, I, he said, no, 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 I'm talking bad guy or good guy. What do you think I meant? And I've seen, I've been at hotels with everybody checking in, and he'd be in the back, and somebody up front, I'm not mentioning names, he'd say, uh, two beds, and Pat would be hollering from the back, one bed will be fine. And the guy put his head down and said, one bed. And it's just like, that was right before all of this happened. I was like, I'm out of this. This, And the next day... Uh, what was his reaction when you kicked the table? He was just panicked. Oh, no, and... he, he just stood up like, oh, no, what do you think I meant? I was talking bad guy or good guy. Right. You know, he was. everybody knows he was married to Louie, a guy, yeah. you know, so it wasn't strange. And when he told me that, it's like, like I said, maybe I'm a little bit of a hothead, but I didn't appreciate that at all. And that was the end of the conversation. The next day at TV, that's when the Ultimate Warrior was their world champion. And Vince came up to me and said, uh, um, Al, we're looking for somebody to make our world champion look good. I said, me? He said, you'd be perfect. I said, yesterday I was a piece of shit. Today I'm good enough to make your world champion look good? He said, yeah. I said, you got the wrong guy. And that was it. I walked off. That was courtesy of Hannibal TV, Al Perez with allegations on Pat Patterson. Psycho Sid Vicious, who wrestled for WCW and wrestled for the WWE, also has his story to tell about Pat Patterson. Listen to his conversation, and again, this is courtesy of Hannibal TV. Uh, first with the WWF, I, I swear, man, I was really... I was like, something shocked me every day. Um, I remember Ultimate Warrior and Kerry Von Eric, and I, I'm pretty sure Kerry wasn't involved in any of that, but um, Paul Roman was screaming, I mean, really loud at Ultimate Warrior going, hey, whatever he was saying, you know, on that carpet with Vince and them, that's what we, I mean, he was screaming stuff like that where everybody in the building could hear that. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. Um, you, 
you like to think that that's not true, but I, and I kind of look for excuse me, a demo boy from Arkansas, but um, I don't know. I just, it, just so many things that it was strange about the whole thing. I heard you say, like, and of course you never, like, were, had to be worried because you're huge and you had many options and places to work, but you said in another interview you felt uncomfortable around Pat Patterson a couple of times. Well, one was this, and it was just, again, you know, you don't, and, and, and the boys rib a lot and you don't know what's, who's joking, joking or not joking, um, and then you heard these stories, I had heard the stories where, you know, supposedly Pat would call Sean's room all night long or knock on his door trying to get him to concede or whatever. Um, so my very first trip in the WWF was I was brought to the building by myself. I was dropped off there, and all I was there was just to watch, understand, to see how they did TVs and how the WWF did their operation. Well, I ended up riding with, going um, back to the room that night with Pat, Vince, JJ, and, and uh, Howard Finkel. and worked out with Vince that day. He had me picked up in a limo with him. We went to the gym, worked out, went back to his room, took a shower, and went to the building. Or, you know, we're all now having dinner, and, you know, Vince goes to the bathroom, and I think Vince is sitting across from me, and Pat's sitting over, and Pat leans over me and says, what an ass on that guy. I was thinking... Oh, God, you know, and then he goes, heard y'all had a really good workout today. He said, I said, yeah, that is just a workout, you know. So that was a little awkward there. So we get to the hotel. This is Canada when the lightning is going on. He says, hey, you want to come to our balcony and watch lightning tonight? I went, no, I don't want to watch lightning tonight. So he grabs me at the counter and says, I got the big son of a bitch in the waist up. So I <laughs> really went around. I was like a real shoot, you know, uh, and, I, and I don't know ch- chained wrestling. I really don't. But I learned it real quick. So I put my arm in and got around him and said, no, you don't have me either. You know, I said, I'm going to my room. And I really was scared that night. And I don't think they were walking by my room, but I had convinced myself of that. Yeah. You know, but, you know, and again, they could have been real. They could just been real. It probably was. But again, it was like, no, I don't want to watch lightning with you tonight, you know. And how things have changed now. First of all, the Brett would have been fired for those blackboard drawings and yes, nothing like that. I guess was that before all the the uh, molestation allegations came out? That was all the same time. Okay. You know, the, the the drawings all related. But you're right uh, about that, man. Is any of that crap? Or the you know the, the, that's one thing, and that and that's probably it was just a rib. You know, they know I'm married, and that wasn't yeah. going on. But now the, the other things that were you know were prevalent. You know, were like the things that I witnessed. You know, were we were seized one time, and uh, there were a group of young little boys sitting out for the hotel, and I asked somebody, I think it was asked the warlord, what are these kids doing here? He goes, uh, well, um, the uh, black ring announcer. Um, was his Mel Phillips. Mel Phillips says, was fired. says, says uh, you know, these, Mel's getting these kids tickets tonight and, and the full return, he takes them to the room and plays with their feet. I go, what? You know, so it's like, and I can tell you a million stories like that, you know, that... And that lawsuit, they ended up getting settlements. Like, it wasn't, it never went to court. It was settled, but it was, they were undisclosed settlements. But I believe that was in relation to Mel Phillips and Terry Garvin. And now, I, I, I hate you saying this, but since you, I'm going to have to say this, because I'm going to say this in my book. This was a weird deal with Terry Garvin one time. You know, I'd heard all these stories, and, you know, and after seeing Paul Roma act out like he did, I 
started feeling like maybe some of this was true. Well, Lowell Mass was a town, you know, coming from Boston. If you didn't leave early, you'd probably be late because of the traffic. So me and Carrie Von Eric, who I was riding with at the time, and Paul Diamond, we got there early. I'd say about maybe an hour early. And um, I went into a little small locker room they had there, Lowell. And um, as I was coming in, there, Carrie Garvin and this little chubby guy that enhancement guy we call job guys um black hair i can't remember his name but his they their car clothes were all ruffled up and i of course i'm thinking the worst but i'm not saying anything so i put my stuff down and i sit there and just i don't even look at the kid you know and so then the kid just sort of goes to me goes uh hey man i don't want to do this uh, i just want to be a wrestler you know uh, I, I just want to go home to my girlfriend I don't have nothing to do with this, you know. And so I said, dude, I'm not trying to be a jerk to you. I said, but you're never going to be successful in this business. You're not going to be me. You're not going to be Terry, Terry Von Air. You're not going to be a big star. So I said, go home and don't fucking ever come back. And he did. And Pat Patterson had uh, resigned through all of that. And now he was, Patterson wasn't connected to the boys. There was a there was an announcer that had made some allegations. It was Garvin and Phillips that had to do with the boys, and they were never brought back. Why? That's just a couple of examples that's out there for you if you care to watch on YouTube regarding Pat Patterson and sexual sexual harassment charges or sexual scandals. It was part of the early 90s for the WWE, but again, the reporting from the Ringer and other places talks about how Murray Hodgkin, who was a former ring announcer, brought sexual harassment charges against Pat, but again, the charges were dropped and a private investigation cleared Nevada Patterson, and he returned and did so many other great things for the WWE uh, after that scandal took place in the company. One of the great friends and colleagues for Pat Patterson is Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard is a agent producer for the WWE for Raw and SmackDown. He has his podcast, Something to Wrestle With, with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson. And because Bruce and Pat work so closely together throughout the 80s and 90s, especially the Attitude Era, this death of Pat Patterson really hurt and really did something to Bruce Pritchard. It's one of his best friends, and he passes away. But Bruce found some solace in telling great stories about how funny Pat Patterson was and some of the ribs that they would pull. Listen to some of the interesting stories that Bruce Pritchard tells about the lighter side of Pat Patterson. So Hulk and Vince were a little estranged at the time, <laughs> and then Hulk had been off doing his things, and and we had been doing without Hulk, and and Hulk was coming into the office to meet one on one with Vince, straighten everything out, and let's get back in the Hulkster's good graces, and let's let's start doing business again. And you remember the Hulk buddies? They're the big plush. Yep. You know, Hulk buddies, we had a Hulk buddy and a warrior buddy. and Saviassi. Yeah. Saviassi, yeah. So, we all we know, really, at this point, is that Hulk's coming in to meet with Vince. 
and that we're probably going to meet with him after he meets with Vince. So to break the ice, Pat and I thought it would be funny. Okay, maybe this might have been a little bit more mean, but Pat was involved. We were like two children. So what if we tied a noose uh, around the Hulk buddy? Yeah. And we lower it from the roof, like right in front of Vince's window. Because uh, we had roof access and there was a spot right there. So we tie it all up. We run upstairs and we're lowering the Hulk bunny down. We let it dangle because we know that where Hulk is going to sit in the meeting, he's going to have his back to that window. And the only person that's going to see it is Vince. So we're dangling it. Then we start swinging it back and forth in front of the window. Then we pull it up and then we drop it down hard like, ah, and we swing it some more. And we're, we're having a good old time. And all of a sudden, we hear the fucking door on the roof come open. God damn it, Bruce, Pat! What the fuck? Okay. Did I mention we were on a roof? Yes. When you're on a roof, other than the air conditioning and electrical shit that's up there, there's not really any place to hide. No. It, this was during the summer. It was kind of a warm day. Like two little kids, Pat and I grabbed our Hulk buddy and ran and hid behind the air conditioner. Oh, my. Like, there's no place else for us to be. He didn't, he came down over to the side and we weren't there and shit. But it was, he looked for us and then we're, we're sitting up there and it's hot as fuck. Well, I think it's safe to go back down. And all of a sudden it realizes almost the one way down from the roof, the door that opens up onto the fourth floor is directly across from his office, which has big glass doors so they can see everything. We just thought if we waited long enough, they'd forget about it. But then it got too hot. We just said, fuck it. And went down and got our ass chewing. Because apparently... The timing of the Hulk buddy being dangled in the window was during a very heated exchange, and Vince sold it, which made Hulk turn around and see it. Oh. And then they were discussing that we didn't take Hulk seriously. And now we're hanging him. And that, yes, and that, that Bruce and Pat, they're not thinking of my creativity and all this other shit, and he turns around and goes, there you go. That's what you guys think of me. So it wasn't really good. But, you know, hey. Let's talk about uh, his relationship with Vince. Because I'm sure over the years, there were some fights. Oh, boy. Yeah, it, you know, it was Vince and, and Pat. Look, we worked so many hours that you, you get sick of each other. And you need a break. Um Vincent argue you never get sick of us and shit, and, but we, we would we would need breaks. Vince could be a little intense, and when 
we would do, especially when we started Monday Night Raw on the road, Vince would be doing commentary. Pat and I would write the shows. I would kind of run the backstage while also trying to produce Vince on commentary, and Pat would handle all the wrestling shit. Well, you had to get in the car and get going to the next town as soon as you can because you had to drive at night. So we would get in the car, and Vince and I would just start going at it. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You know, you did this, you did this, you did this. Why didn't that happen? Why didn't this happen? And and we would fight. I mean, it would, it would loud, loud voices and a lot of cursing, a lot of shit. Just one night, Pat pulls off the side of the road, pulls into a, a bar, parks the car, gets out, walks inside the bar. Vince and I are still going at each other. We don't realize anything other than after a little while, about 10, 15 minutes. Is he taking a shit in there? What the fuck is going on? Let's go in and see what's going on. Vince and I get out of the car. We go in the bar. Pat's sitting at the end of the bar, smoking a cigarette, drinking a drink. We go down. Um, Patrick, what are you doing? I'm going to fucking have my cigarette and have my drink, and you two motherfuckers can go to the other end of the bar, get all your shit out, and when you're done, then we can get back in the car and fucking go. Tired of listening to it. Spat basically banished us to the other end of the bar for us to fight our shit out and then come down and tell him when we were done fighting so he would drive us the rest of the way. Another part of the crew in that era, uh, the late great Howard Finkel. I'm sure there's a good Howard and Pat story in there somewhere. Maybe a few. Yeah, Howard um Howard worked, you know, real closely with Vincent Pat for many years as well. Before I got there. And Howard would be the, the fact checker, and Howard would be the guy that could tell you the card from the last events there and pull everything up. And Fink was a computer, man. He was he was just a computer genius in so many ways. And back in the day before these things called computers, you know, where like you just like type on it and then you could see it as I'm typing on it, shit like that, instantaneously communicate we didn't have that we had memos that were uh emails basically written on paper that were delivered to you by the mail room department and and or back in the day slid under your door your door was shut and pat concocts a memo an all uh all employee inner office memo it's like two all titan employees subject super bowl party from howard finkel and pat goes on to do this elaborate memo about i love my titan family and i am having a party at my house for the Super Bowl. But we're not just talking a game, all the pre-game activities, everything will be at my house, food, fun, games, liquor, everything, whatever you want, we'll have. Bring the family, everyone invited. 
And Pat sends these out to everyone in the company. Except Howard. Oh. So Howard uh, and was RS. Oh, it was like, you must RSVP by the end of the day today. So Howard is in his office. He's getting all these phone calls from people. Oh, Mr. Finkel, you know, people from the warehouse he had never met before. Mr. Finkel, this is so kind. I'm going to bring my wife and my six kids. Look, we've got our in-laws in. Is it okay if we bring them too? What are you talking about? Well, your Super Bowl party. Because Howard was going to have a little Super Bowl party. He invited he had invited me, Pat, and Vince to come over to his house for the Super Bowl party. Three people, not 300. Yeah. Yeah. So people are calling him and going all over the fucking place. And then finally he got a hold of someone who had the, the memo. And he was, he was so upset. Did he immediately know it was you and Pat? It wasn't me. Sure. Not it. Not it. Um, he went to Linda. Oh. And he was, he was pretty upset. And Linda read it and she knew immediately. And Howard didn't want to believe that Pat would do that. So, um, Linda, I was there for that when Linda came down and wanted to strangle Pat. She's like, Patrick, do you have any idea how much commotion that this one little piece of paper is causing in the office today? (laughs) And he's like, okay, I will take care of it and all this shit. So he tries to go down and talk to Howard. Howard locks himself in his office and won't come out. Oh. Won't answer the door, won't answer the phone, nothing. Pat finally has to go get a key to get into the office to talk to Howard. Howard won't talk to him. Finally, Linda talks to Howard, Pat talks to Howard, he hugs Howard, and he basically took Howard, so he's he's like taking Howard down to hug him and tell him how much he loves him right, and I'm sorry, Howard. And in doing so, fucks up Howard's knee by taking him down. Oh, my God, the worst day ever for Howard. Yes. So then Pat sends out a retraction. Hey, sorry, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Howard, bless his little heart, is like, I'll get him back. And Howard sends out an all-office memo. The party has now been moved to Pat Patterson's house. Bring all your animals and all this shit. But now everybody knows it's a rib. And instead of calling an RSVP and Pat, they all call Howard again. Because Pat had his fucking phone forwarded. So that was just, you know, kind of the, the, the nice, wonderful shit that we, we could have fun with Howard with. And, and Howard loved it. Howard loved being a part of the, uh, a part of that process and, and what have you. And the, the, I think Howard's 40th birthday party, we had a huge party at Vince's house where everyone went in the pool. The only one that didn't go in the pool because Howard was sick. And how Howard, why even Howard went to the party other than it was paid for and it was going to happen regardless of whether he was sick or not. But everybody's getting thrown in the pool in their, in their suits and all their nice clothes and shit. Pat, being Pat, Goes over to the gazebo, gets undressed, takes his suit, folds up his pants, takes his shirt off, 
pulls up his shirt, his jacket, folds it all up nice and neat, takes his shoes off, puts them on top, goes over and says, out of bed, you want to go swimming? You go swimming in your birthday suit. But he had his underwears on. What underwear? My underwears. You know how he knew at the front? How to tell the front from the back? Color. Yeah, yellow on the front, brown on the back. That's right. how he knew. There you go. He put his underwears on. Pat dives in the pool. Ha, 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 I got all of you. I walk over to the gazebo where Pat has all of his shit nicely folded there and dry. I said, hey, Pat, are these yours? Dropped his shoes in the pool <laughs> and dropped everything in the pool in the deep end so that it would, like, sink nice and have, have to have somebody go dive down there to get it. But... You know, Pat was Pat was good for a rib, and, and we like to rib Howard and have a little fun. Talk to me about smoking. Anybody who met Pat Patterson knows that uh, he enjoyed a cigarette or two. Oh, goddamn. Or two. Shit. In Vince's house, <coughs> during, the, during the winter, he would just go to the front porch and smoke. And uh, he would throw his butts, his cigarette butts, off the porch into like the the landscaping there. They had bushes and shit there. Well, I didn't know that people actually did this. You probably do this. I I didn't realize this was a thing back in the back in the day. But in between seasons, like they would come in and have the landscaping people take out the shit like during the winter and put in things for the spring and the summer. So what would happen is Pat, during the winter, would throw cigarette butts in there. You couldn't see them because of all the fucking snow and all the other shit. When the snow melted (laughs) and it's time for the fucking landscapers to come in and change everything, it looked like a fucking ashtray because of all the cigarette butts and shit that, uh, that Patrick had thrown in there. He was... You know, when he retired, I forget which time this was that he retired, but he couldn't help himself. The uh, the landscapers always there were always landscapers at Vince's house doing something somewhere. So Jim Cornette and I are meeting with Vince out by the pool. We always sit under like this little gazebo thing, and as we're sitting there, uh, we hear. When the landscapers come up, and 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 Pat had called me and told me he was going to do this, so I knew about it. And I hear the landscaper come up with a leaf blower. They're blowing shit all over the place, and come up and go, "Hey, Pat!" And he's like, comes up and said, "Vince is inside on the phone," so you know it's not going to work. And Vince could take hours on the phone sometimes. Pat's sitting there, and we're bullshitting me and Cornette, and. Patrick and all this stuff and so I finally see Vince is off the phone I see he's coming back outside so okay go go back down so we're sitting there and as we're uh, working we hear this <laughs> and he starts blowing the leaves Vince is like ah it'll just be a second he's just got this one little spot here to do Pat's got his shorts on he's got a hat you know way down over his, the, over his head where you really can't tell but instead of blowing the leaves away, Pat's blowing all the dirt and the leaves up into our faces. 
And Vince was just like, God damn it. Hey, hey, pal. Hey, pal. Nothing. <laughs> Blows more shit. Vince comes to the edge. Hey, amigo. <laughs> With that, all this shit comes blowing up in fucking Vince's face. Till finally Vince comes down around the pool, down the steps to go and uh, confront this guy face to face. And right when he does, Pat sticks the fucking air blower, uh, leaf blower thing right in Vince's face and goes, I just wanted to blow you, Vince, and realized it was Pat Patterson. But that, in the middle of his fucking day, that's what Pat would come do. Great stories told there by Bruce Pritchard, and he finished his celebration of life for Pat Patterson and all the years knowing Pat by saying this. I have the the utmost respect and love for that man that I, I can only hope that every one of you listening have someone in your life that like a Pat Patterson um, is a genius He was he, he was the best friend you could ever ask for, man. Uh, do whatever he wanted. Always there to listen. You always knew where he stood. And I I love him. Um, and he's going to be missed. Already is. This has been one of the worst weeks of my life. <laughs> and, uh, sorry about that. Um, Losing someone in your life is always hard, but losing someone that is a part of your life and a part of you is even harder. And, and Pat was so much a part of me. And Jerry Briscoe and I were talking last night, and, and just he was so much more. He was so much more than somebody we worked with. And in this business, you have so many acquaintances and you have so many people you know. You have very few true friends that you can say, hey, he's my friend. And I love him. And Pat Patterson, my friend, I love you. And I didn't, you know, couldn't tweet, couldn't talk. I mean, been so all week. Would all would avoid the subject alone and just tell stories. 
is some of those I told today. And I'm just sad that I won't have any more. Just a great job by Bruce Pritchard talking about not just his colleague, but his friend, Pat Patterson. They're on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Along with Conrad Thompson, you can go to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and hear the full two-hour tribute that Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson do for the late Pat Patterson. Jim Cornette, a wrestling legend, has his own podcast, and he was with his co-host, Brian Last. And Jim Cornette worked with Pat Patterson in the front office of the WWE for some time. And he has his own memories of working with Pat Patterson. Also, uh, Jim talks about the alleged allegations against Pat Patterson while he was in the WWE. Pat produced, he was an agent like Rick Rubin produces music. He doesn't go in there and, and write a song for you and tell you how to sing it and tell you what key to put it in and everything. Rick Rubin took Johnny Cash, who'd been modernized and Nashvilleized and sequinized and all of the authenticity had been wrung out of him, and, and he stripped it down to his voice and his talent. What Pat would do is instead of going in and telling guys what to do, he would sit down and start the conversation. And he, because he was always working with the main event guys, the Undertakers, the Foley's, the, you know, the Austin's rocks as the top guys. And he knew that they knew themselves, but he also knew that he knew how they could do their shit in certain places at a certain speed or at the right spot or the way to take them on a ride. And he would start a conversation where all the guys were throwing in ideas and everything and he would hear them all and he'd put them together in the right place, in the right order, and he would know where the people would pop and what you should sell longer or whatever. He would know the flow, the timing. He'd done it so long, and he'd, he'd seen it so long. And he had everybody's respect. So they would do it when, when he really said, yeah, this is, this is it, this, you got it. Then they would do that. So he, he was, and, and he was so non-confrontational, but he, he got what you needed because a lot of times he would the guys would come up with it they just wouldn't know they had it until he told them and that's what i've tried to learn from him is when i would sit down with guys in ring of honor or in ovw afterwards but especially like in in a place where the guys weren't all green and where there were some veterans you talk to them whether it's on the phone or you sit down in person or whatever and you they come up with ideas and then you figure out a way to tell them their own shit back, but in such a way that it's put together in the right place. Does that make sense? As far as agenting or producing a match, that's the way that the good guys do it. Yeah, and I think a lot of listeners, a lot of wrestling fans always wonder what exactly does an agent do? And Pat, of course, being one of the best of all time. Yeah, well, you know who's going to go over. And if Vince or whoever the boss is, or that particular agent has a specific finish in mind to lead to come back with a different stipulation or whatever but putting those i mean there didn't used to be an agent there used to be a booker that gave you your finish and the guys did their own matches then as the business changed 
you know, then they started using retired wrestlers or ex-wrestlers or guys who got out of the ring. And everybody now, Shane Helms is an agent. Uh, the younger generation knows, you know, uh, that style. But Pat was always in the main events because the main event wasn't about... They knew there was going to be match quality because of the, the names. But the, the main events were about drawing money and, and painting the picture and telling the story. And that's where Pat was a, a genius. And from years from learning from Roy Shire... 50 years ago or then Eddie Graham 45 years ago and then doing it all over the world etc etc but that you know and the one thing I want to mention is and, and a couple of people on Twitter so well what about that the whole ring boy scandal sex scandal the bullshit that Pat got caught up in involving Terry Garvin and Mel Phillips and whatever else was going on with all those other announcers and ring boys and whatever. I've shit on this in the past and I will shit on it again here. It's bullshit. And the only reason, the only single reason that Pat Patterson got caught up in that controversy was because he was the other gay guy. That's it. And and it, it, talking about the tolerance that we're supposed to have these days and diversity and not being homophobic, everybody that's accused Pat Patterson of doing wrong shit uh, and misusing his position and abusing people or anything else, that's the worst kind of homophobia because you're just assuming because he was gay, he was involved in it too. And I admit I was not around Pat in his younger days, but he had a committed relationship for what was he with Louis for 30 years or whatever. Oh, longer than that. Uh, I don't know how they got together in decades. Yeah, they got together in '61 in Boston. Okay, well, well, goddamn, then all right. And uh, besides that, he wasn't that kind of guy, and he didn't need to do it. Now, Pat also, as I said, loved to joke around, have a sense of humor. Did he ever joke with somebody that maybe they were young or inexperienced or one of these people? My cousin one time came home all just all fucking bent out of shape and just horrified and just scared and shaken and told my mom, this was years ago, 40 years ago or more, a gay guy hit on me. I looked, I was like, I don't, I don't know if even women would find him attractive, but anyway, why did you say that? Well, he was talking to me. He made a weird comment. Maybe somebody didn't know how to take something that Pat said at one point. But that would be as far as it went. And and I'm sorry, but I never saw anything, never heard anybody say that he had any issue with anything that Pat had done. Now, there's been guys that have been there in the past that have done shoot interviews that maybe tried to stir things up. And I ascribe that to the same thing I ascribed. Tommy Rich didn't blow Jim Barnett to get the NWA title either. It was guys because Pat was the booker and Pat was Vince's right-hand man. And if they weren't maybe as good as they thought they were, didn't go as far as they thought they should, well, it must have been Pat's fault, that type of thing. But no, he was a he was a really good guy and friendly, and he was upbeat. And yes, the worst thing I can say about Pat Patterson is when he and Bruce Pritchard got together, they loved the ha-ha. But at least Pat could do the other shit. Pat could do the serious stuff. Pat could lay out a Royal Rumble with 30 guys in intricate fashion. Pat could come up with serious main event pay-per-view finishes with the top stars in the business that would draw money. But they both knew that Vince loved that silly shit on the underneath and they would get together and tickle each other and come up with some shit. And unfortunately, sometimes Vince would use it. I'm sure the gobbledygooker was a, a scene of 
mass chaos there when they thought of that one that day. But that's the worst thing I can say about Pat Patterson. He was a genius. He was a great wrestler. He was a wonderful guy. And as you saw on the tributes, everybody fucking loved him. They got to work with him for the last 40 years. So I don't know what more you can say. Words from Jim Cornette along with Brian Lass talking about the greatness of Pat Patterson. The only way that Jim Cornette knows how to say it, he said it right there. 1996, Pat Patterson goes to the WWE Hall of Fame. His speech was memorable. I got him, Vince. I got the glasses. This is my moment in New York at the Big Apple, man. Love it. I wish, like, my mom and dad could be here to see this. They passed away a long time ago. And when that little boy, Pat Patterson, started wrestling, they couldn't believe it. They came to San Francisco and saw me in action. They could not believe what they were seeing. And I wish they could be here. I'm sure they would be proud of me. They were totally against me to get into wrestling when I was young. I left home when I was 18 years old. I didn't have a dime in my pocket because my mom and dad, they didn't have any money. If they would have had some, they wouldn't have gave me any. They would have been very proud. And I know today I got four brothers and four sisters. And I know that they are very, very proud of me. And I love them so much. I would like to thank a few wrestlers from the old generation. First of all, Andre the Giant became good friends. God, what a great guy he was. I want to thank Roy Shire, the wrestling promoter that taught me a lot. He was the most rude man you ever want to work for. But if you work for Roy Shire for 15 years, you could work for anybody. And I want to thank him. I want to thank Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens. passed away not long ago, Ray became like a brother to me. And I'll tell you, Ray Stephen, he was 60 years old, but when he died, he was still 16 years old. He was just a joy to be around. He was a great guy. Arnold Scullin, I want to thank you for all the great time that you and I had in the business. Gorilla Monsoon. <clears throat> the gorilla has got a heart that big great guy and a great friend. I always loved the story about Gorilla and his wife, Maureen. One time, Maureen says, Gino, this, the sink in the bathroom is plugged up. You think you could fix it or call a plumber? And Monsoon says, no, I'll fix it. No problem. I'll get a wrench and I'll get it all set. He gets underneath the sink, gets a wrench, and he takes the J-trap there's a big pipe underneath the sink. He finally gets it off. He was smart. He turned the water off first. Then he takes the J-trap, which was full of goo and stuff, and he gives it to Maureen. He says, here, Maureen. He's laying underneath the sink now. He says, here, Maureen. He says, would you please empty that? Where do you think she empties it? In the sink. 
I love that story. Fred Blassie, thank you and all the great trips we had in Japan. You really through are you really are a, a classy man. I love you very much. Mad Dog Vachon, when I was 17 years old, I was so scared of him. Oh, my God. And he kept saying, kid, one day you're going to be a great star. You're going to be good. And one time he was in Portland, Oregon, and I was in Boston, and I was starving to death, and he asked me to come to Portland and join him. God, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have no money. So I borrowed some money from a friend of mine, and I flew to Portland, Oregon, and from there, it's history. So Mad Dog Vachon really helped me in my career. And I thank him a lot. The Grand Wizard, I thank him a lot. I know you're up there listening. And Lou Albano a little while ago said that uh, once I wrestled him, I wanted to retire. Almost. Because I've had some of my, some of my worst matches I ever had in my career with Lou Albano. <laughs> as a wrestler, he didn't have it. But as a, as a manager, he did have it. Red Bastine, Pedro Morales, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, Jack Lanza, Rene Goulet. How many trips did we make and get drunk? And oh my God, unbelievable. He was a wild, crazy Frenchman, I'll tell you. Killer Kowalski, you remember when I was 15 years old, you were in the main event at the Montreal Forum. And I knocked, I couldn't get through by the dressing room, but I made my way in anyway. And I knocked on the dressing room door. And I wanted to ask Walter for his autograph. But he was my idol. And when they opened the door, they seen the kid there. They screamed at me in English. I didn't have a clue what they were saying. Get out of here, you little punk. Scared of death. About a minute later, the door opens up and Kowalski comes out. He said, come here. And he gave me his autograph. And I still have that picture today. And I still have the autograph. Chief Dre Strombo, thank you for the good times all these years. Tony Guerrilla, Don Morocco, how can I forget? Well, I, wrestled, I wrestled him one time, a few times, the first time I wrestled him in the Cow Palace. It was my first hour match. I don't have to tell you how dead and tired I was to carry him. Or was he, or was he carrying me? One of the two. I'm trying to make this quick, but I'm loving it. And it's now for the time for the new generation. And I want to thank, because I want you to know, all of you, that I'm still a big wrestling fan, and I love wrestling, but all my life, that's all I know. And to the new generation, I want to thank the leader of the new generation, because I think he does such a great job. He entertains me to no end, and I want to thank him tonight publicly, the World Wrestling Federation, Shawn Michaels. And of course, it's been said earlier, and I want to say it again, right here in this room tonight, and I've been around for a long time, but right here in this room tonight, there is the greatest talent in the world and it's right here in this room you can't get any better than this and i applaud all of you
now with a guy sitting next to me that I really would like to thank. Before I thank him, I want to thank his dad because his dad made the phone call and called me, I think in 1975, 1976, asked me to come to New York. It was like a dream come true. I couldn't believe New York was all big guys, giant. Came to New York, been here ever since. And I want to thank Bob Backlund also. He gave me some of my toughest fights, but I want to thank Bob Backlund. He was a hell of a champion. And from that point on, I met this guy here. I thought I liked wrestling. Yeah, see, this guy, I must be nice wrestling. And I'll keep saying it. How can this be any better? How can you make this any bigger than it is right now in this room? He's going to come up with some ways to do it. He's going to make it bigger. Vince, I want to thank you for what you've done for me. I want to thank you for having faith in me. We've worked many hours together, and I loved every minute of it. I'm done. done. I'm going to keep going with you, Vince. Um, I really love what you've done with wrestling. I love what you've done with the WWF. And I love what you're going to do with it. And, Brett, I hate to say, steal your line. WWF is the best there was, the best there is, and the best that there ever will be. The words from Pat Patterson as he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. The master and the innovator of the Royal Rumble. One of the all-time greats out of San Francisco. Wrestling for Roy Shire. Wrestling for Vern Gagne in the AWA. Wrestling for Eddie Graham in Florida. Wrestling for Vince McMahon Sr. in the WWF and Vince McMahon in the WWE. One of the all-time greats, Pat Patterson, who was instrumental not only in front of the camera, but behind the scenes, has passed away. One of the all-time greats, and he did it his way.
It was 